0: Love Talk Radio. and collectively to create a better world for one and all. Those of you who listen regularly will be quite familiar with our website, www.abetterworld.tv, and our weekly newsletter. And if you are not, if you are a new listener, please go to our website and certainly get signed on to our free newsletter. Uh, It announces our radio and TV shows every week. We have a weekly TV show every Tuesday night at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. And our Wednesday radio show here at this time on Blog Talk Radio. And I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to be picking up the theme of creating a better world, but with a very particular man who has been on that path For literally decades. His name is Dwayne Elgin, and we'll be speaking with him for the hour. So please tune in, get comfortable, and enjoy what will be a truly dynamic show because Dwayne brings so much to the table. He's a very well known author, speaker, educator, consultant, and media activist for more than three decades. Duane has defined, truly defined the cutting edge in consciousness research, in the ecology movement, and in studies of the future sometimes referred to as futurism. He pioneered and was really the founder of the movement known as Voluntary Simplicity <clears throat> and he wrote what is now a classic book by the same title, published in the 1980s, I dare say, long before it was greatly appreciated. I think now is more the time for it, And uh, but that's the way it is with pioneers, always ahead of the game, ahead of the curve, so to speak. And Additional to the work that Dwayne Elgin has done with the notion of voluntary simplicity, which we will have a moment to discuss during the show, he is also the author of several other books, um, such as, including, I should say, Awakening Earth, Exploring the Evolution of Human Culture and Consciousness, Promise Ahead, A Vision of Hope and Action for Humanity's Future, living legacies, how to write, illustrate, and share your life stories, and most recently, the living universe, where are we, who are we, and where are we going? So it's with that, I'd like to introduce you all to Dwayne Elgin, and today we'll be speaking about both, the living universe, his latest book, with a foreword by Deepak Chopra, and then I would like to dip into another Vast work that he is involved in Having to do with what is called Great Transition Stories And you can go to that website And uh, check it out Because it's uh, very Present for many of us Now as we are Even in the middle of The year 2012 Where so many stories Of transition are occurring And we understand geologically Psychologically And spiritually Cosmologically, we're at a time of great transition, and Dwayne and his associates and colleagues are welcoming individual stories about this for people and for collectives. Dwayne, are you on the line? Dwayne, are you on the
1: line? Okay.
0: Yes. I'm I'm here. There you are. Yeah. Okay, yes, now I can. How are okay, you? Okay, good.
1: Uh, I'm I'm here, I've been listening, and I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Mitchell.
0: Absolutely, Dwayne, absolutely. It's a true pleasure to have you on. I've been wanting to do so since our very first conversation some time back, and uh, I just think highly of the work that you've been doing for a long, long time. I remember coming across the voluntary simplicity movement Probably late in its own iteration, but in the early 90s and uh, attended uh, one of the uh, conferences that was held right in the Mac around the corner from Bloomingdale's in New York City of all places. <laughs> <How about that? laughs>
1: so, Very appropriate. Isn't that ironic, right? Very appropriate. You know, one thing, <laughs> let me cl- clarify, you said I'm uh, the founder of this movement and uh, you know, I look back, and I think this got started about two thousand years ago with the uh, great <laughs> yeah. spiritual teachers. No kidding. And yeah. um, and so I I call myself the great 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 grandson of a movement that's been going on for really over two thousand years, and it's now just uh, finding new relevance. Yes, I understand. It's a it's a well made
0: point. Yeah. And. Um, I guess a more uh, contemporary way of putting it is that you refounded or <laughs> kick started a yeah. movement that yeah. had been um, kind of dying.
1: Well, it'd been languishing you know, Languishing, yeah. Languishing
0: in the middle of the materialistic 1980s. <clears throat> yeah. There was a real call oh. for something, and you were talking about
1: bad timing for an author. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly so Just the
0: opposite would have been a, a exactly. bestseller Exactly it would Well, Dwayne, you are doing such fine work And I'd really like to turn our attention to this book That I've been just uh, enjoying so much Called The Living Universe And I'd like to set up a context for people uh, Which you outline at the very beginning uh, By posing the question And exploring it with some depth are we living in a living universe or a universe of dead, inert matter that happens to be floating randomly in space with us on the back of one of those uh, meteoric pieces and uh, living a rather random life at that? And when we die, well, our physical material body uh, dissipates, and, well, that's pretty much the end of it. Um, why don't you speak to us a little bit about? Because I, I think the implications yeah. are rather awesome when it, we make the transition to realizing we're living on a, in a living universe. Yes.
1: Now, here's let, let's the interesting thing is when I talk with people, uh, I find that about half the people I speak with immediately say, "Well, of course it's alive. How could it be otherwise? I mean, it's it's uh, you're it's uh, yeah. not." And then the other half says, well, you're crazy if you think this thing is alive. We, everyone knows it's it's inert matter and empty space. And it's <laughs> so interesting. No kidding, uh, Mitchell. There are radically different views, and people have not been confronted with this question. But yeah. one asked, they have very strong views. And I just want to acknowledge that. that <laughs> True. People yeah, have very so really strong views. And, and uh, the people, here's where the rubber hits the road. And for example, um, in our society, if the universe is essentially inert matter and empty space, well then it makes sense to exploit it. Yes. To exploit it on behalf of the little bit of life that's around and that's us.
0: And right. so on behalf
1: of the a, living. Yeah. So as soon yeah. as you say, Well, it's a dead universe, well then an exploitive mentality, it makes sense. That's the way to go. Um uh,
0: exactly. on the other
1: hand, if it's a living universe you want to revere it. You want to care for it. You want to be sensitive to it. You want to relate to it because you're participating in that aliveness. So the shift from dead to alive yes. is a, an extraordinary one. And we can begin to look at some of the other implications, but I just wanted to say yes. that <laughs> it's about a 50-50 yeah. split out there now and very so interesting. Yeah,
0: and in the the dead inert matter interpretation, Duane is particularly interesting because how in the world, no, how on earth would living matter derive from non-living matter? It's That's, a non sequitur by definition.
1: Yeah. See, uh, al- already, Mitchell, you put yourself in that one camp of saying, <laughs> I guess I <laughs> you have. have. Yes, you man. have. And I, yeah. I say the same thing. It, and and there is not a scientist around that can explain that that transformation of how you get life from non-life. And they will talk about Correct. the growing complexity of matter and biological systems and all kinds of complex words. But actually, they that is inexplicable. And uh, in my estimation, and I hear what you're saying, we we start with life. Uh, the whole yes. thing is alive. And out of the greater aliveness comes the, let's say, the smaller aliveness of we as individuals, as plants, as animals, and so on, that are a unique individuals' expressions of this larger aliveness in which we all uh, participate. Yes, 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 beautifully put. You know, the question that you ask is
0: similar to, uh, similar, but I actually think Einstein's question is a subset, and that is, is the universe friendly? Right and that that's a pivotal question, but I really would call it sub-pivotal if you um, would follow this, because once, as you well put it, Dwayne, we recognize, or let's say, we accept that the universe itself is a living, quivering, vibrant yeah. matter. <laughs> yes, to be quite blunt about it, yeah. then, as you say, we revere it, we right. hold it as sacred, and we we are impelled biologically to take care of it, like one takes care of one's mother. That's right. And it pivots one for the entirety of one's life in one direction or another, either caretaking and sustaining
1: or exploiting. As that's right. That's right. It, you know. And it's Natural So that's why it's, why not, it's a very there, fundamental you know, matter. There's no blame there, in a sense. <clears throat> uh, it's just no, no. It's not to blame anyone. It's to say, well, look, that's how we understood it. We act appropriately uh, in the past, uh, feeling that the universe was essentially uh, dead matter and empty space. And now science itself is discovering, um, to the contrary, this is an extraordinarily mysterious and deep and, uh, in in many ways, living system that we are a part of. So, um, uh, you know, just to follow up on that a little bit further, what difference does this make. Um I say to people, look, if it's a dead universe, then consumerism makes sense. That's the way to go in a dead universe. Because what have you got? Just a bunch of dead stuff. How do you know yeah. it anything? Well how big is your pile? How big is that house? How big is that car?
0: Pile up that stuff. You know, that's how he does a bunch yeah. of dead
1: stuff. Okay. Yes. Uh on the other hand, if it's a living universe hey, that stuff, that dead stuff is going to get in the way of you connecting with the aliveness, the juice of reality out there. And if you put materialism between you and the rest of the world, you're going to be cutting yourself off from a lot of joy, connection, happiness, uh, uh, um, discovery, and all the rest. Yes, exactly. In terms of uh, how it impacts us. In terms of our own ability to awaken and grow and develop and blossom as human beings um, We need to break out of this narrow, confining mold that we're just consumers to be entertained We're we're citizens of a living universe to be transformed Exactly I would actually even argue this,
0: Dwayne That even if a person's interpretation, that 50% that you have encountered Is that we are living on a dead, inert planet Uh, except all dead but us and other forms of sentient life, animals, etc., then even still an argument could be made uh, in these two ways. One, we still need to conserve the resources because they're actually finite so right. we better even though we exploit it we still better create a sustainable lifestyle because there will be an end to the use of the resources and right. number 2 if even if i were to say it is a dead inert universe um I could say that psychologically and spiritually, it would be to my advantage to interpret it as a live
1: one because the benefits are so much greater. <laughs> or at least to be curious about that. I'd be curious. <laughs> I mean, for heaven's sakes, how many times do we get to be here? This is such a precious opportunity to be here. And Indeed. To, to say, well, I'm just a biological being. When the biology goes, the lights go out, and that's the end of it. But if we step back and look at what science is saying, science is saying 96% of the known universe is invisible. Well, we're participating in the universe, so is 96% of ourselves invisible? What happens when the 4% that's biological goes? What happens to the other 96%? Um, yes. Yes. When we look at the 4% that is the material so-called, and we go way down to the very foundations of materiality, what we find at the atomic level is not particles, but we find uh, flows of energy. And basically, there is just nothing there that's solid at the foundation of so-called material existence. So um, we are a part... Uh, of a vastly larger aliveness. And the thing is, if you look at surveys, about half of the American public has had a direct experience of that. They've had the experience of being in communion, in connection with the aliveness of a living universe. And these are surveys that have been done now for over half a century. So this is really grounded in our direct experience as a public. It isn't just theory. As people walking around, and all of a sudden they see,
0: oh, wow,
1: there 's love at the foundations of the universe oh i 'm connected with the with the whole thing i 'm a part of this larger field of aliveness, and it just transforms who we are, what we think we 're doing here, our vision of ourselves as either just a biological entity to get what we can while we 're here, or as a soulful entity that 's in a process of learning and soul growing and developing ourselves some of these invisible qualities, these invisible dimensions. So it makes a huge difference. Indeed, you actually spend
0: a chapter in looking at this notion of the soul and the various levels of soul yeah. and its interaction with the cosmology
1: um, overall. Could you speak a little bit about that? Have to. And um, we can use the word soul or some other word that, uh, because that may trouble some people. But here's the basic idea that underneath, if 96% of the universe is invisible, underneath this visible 4%, there we have a body of energy. Uh, and this body of energy has qualities. And there are four qualities I talk about, light, love, music, and knowing, light, love, music, and knowing. And I see are hmm. each of us, first of all, a body of light, and physics will affirm that. If we had time, we'd talk about it, and spirituality yep. will affirm that, enlightenment. The light in people's eyes reveals the light in their soul and so on. Yes. Um, so light, p- enlightenment, and all the rest is a key quality of our, let's say, energetic body or soulful being. Uh, yes. Love. Uh, Mitchell, you've written about this. I've read some of your blogs about love really being at the yes. foundation <laughs> of, of the universe. And um, and this, you know, when people sit in meditation for years at a time, what do they find? Do they find this kind of a gray metallic hum of a dead universe? No. (laughs) They find joy. They find bliss. They find uh, love. When they really get quiet and settle in and just let it be, they find love. So there's light, love, music. Now, in physics... Physics is now saying uh, reality is really made out of these strings of energy, and as the strings vibrate, they vibrate and create different patterns of energy, and that transforms them into material expressions. Mm -hmm. So the foundations of matter is essentially music. It's it's, it's strings of energy vibrating. And uh, you go into spirituality, and people uh, recognize the music, the orchestration of every person's being. When I encounter you Instantly, I will encounter the orchestration of, the, of your whole being within seconds. The book books mm-hmm. about this. Blink, sure. uh, a famous book. Blink, within a second, you are picking up the psychic uh, history and structure of a person, and you have a feeling quality about relating to them. So light, love, music, and lastly, knowing. We are here to learn we're not here just to have a good time. We're here to learn about who we are, what we're doing, and to develop qualities of compassion, of generosity, of awareness, and all the rest. And so, this is a learning uh, uh, universe, not just a, um, a kind of a place. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's not a parking lot. qualities that it's sold, I think are just so yeah. critical. Yeah. I love music. And uh, it's beautifully put. It's beautifully put. I say
0: to people so often, Dwayne, uh, they call the uh, aspects of our internal lives' organs, because we're always making music. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know? And it's also interesting, etymologically, that the word organ is the basis of the word organization. So you end up having a scaled level of musicality in our society. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. You see that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So what at every it? level we have a, a different level of
1: conducting of music you right know, throughout the the spheres you could say yeah also yeah. I think that's so important for let's say a corporation to recognize yes. that it has its own orchestration that people pick up on. So if I go buy an Apple computer I'm buying not just a piece of technology I'm buying the music of that organization. Yes, Apple. exactly. And if I go over to exactly. Microsoft it has another reputation, That's and I'm right. buying not only the hardware, but also the uh, and software, but also the uh, music, uh, That's right. so-called uh, the, the soulful music that comes from that company. Exactly, you're you're actually you could <laughs> say you're
0: you're we are subscribing to a certain form of energy field, a certain aura yeah. that is generated by yes, the hardware itself. And the image, the reputation, and the entire energy field of the people who put it together. Right. Steve Jobs, on some level, is part of the vibrational musical field yep. of Apple.
1: You yep. know, Definitely.
0: which is why so many people took a bite out of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, no, you, you, I, I still so enjoy these. These words with you, and um, it's all about the scientific construction. And this is one of the things I, I like so much about your book: is the the there's the scientific base, which is another form of modern music, by the way. Um, uh, of constructing, of pointing us right toward the atom and that we see that there's really almost nothing there. You know, that Knock there on. really is empty space yep, that yep, has been configured in a particular way for a period of time.
1: Yes. Uh, there's no matter, there's no substance there. There is energy flowing there. Uh, the entire universe is a unified whole, flowing movement. It's just flowing. It's all a flow-through uh, system. But exactly. we, we see it very slowly when, it's, when it is actively uh, regenerating itself very quickly. And because of the slowness of our perception, we think it's a solid, enduring universe. Hey, exactly. when in, uh, underneath it all, if we could see what was actually happening, it's, it's an extraordinary hurricane of energy and flow-through that's happening.
0: Indeed. And
1: it's so interesting because, you know,
0: the ancient Taoists and Buddhists have been saying this all along. And right. uh, you you dedicate one of your chapters to looking uh, from the religious uh, perspectives, yes. the, kind of the classical ones, Judeo-Christian, Islamic, Hindu, at this whole field of reality, if you will. Right. And it it brings a very Pure preciousness to the subject, and the work, of course, of Fritov Kopra and Gary Zukav and others who are outlining the the meeting place, the confluence between uh, spirituality and quantum physics, is this exquisite, exquisite marriage where we're bringing. Uh, the light of science, if you will, to the depth of spirituality, yes. and we see that they're singing the same song to yes. continue a metaphor. Yes, know?
1: that's right. And um, uh, the whole idea that the universe is not just sitting here static. But it's a regenerating system. Moment by moment by moment, it is getting renewed. Not only the material, but also the fabric of space and time. And so uh, we're in the middle of a gigantic um, system that's recreating itself at every moment. And then, so, do the spiritual traditions affirm that? And I want to just read a few quotes from, uh, let's say, take the uh, Judeo-Christian from Genesis. Uh, Quote, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the heavens and the earth, the whole thing. Um, Here's one from Hebrews. Uh, The universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what he was visible. Boy, would the uh, contemporary physicists agree uh, with that. Here's Michael Eckhart, a great Christian mystic from the 13th century. He says, God is creating the entire universe fully and totally in this present now. Everything God created, God creates now, all at once you just can't get mm. any more specific than that and every yeah. single tradition you go to you go to islam for example it talks about uh, occasionalism and it says here i am i'm holding a book it says a second later it won't be the same book i'm holding now it will be a new occasion of that book and not only mm. the book that i'm holding but it will be a new occasion of the entire universe that surrounds me holding that book and so moment by moment by moment we are encountering new occasions and um out of Buddhism, uh, just, you can go just find so many quotes. Here's one from a scholar, uh, Buddhist scholar Suzuki. He says, my solemn proclamation is that a new universe is created every moment. You just can't get any more specific than that. No, a new universe is created true. every moment. And this it's comes true. up again and again and again in all of the world's wisdom traditions. And if you want to know where we come together as a human family, it's that we live in a living universe. Uh, And we can agree upon that, and I can show you from the foundations of the world's wisdom traditions that that is something that we, in fact, do agree upon out of the spiritual realm. And increasingly, as you say, Mitchell, uh, science is coming to a similar pointing in a very similar direction as well. So, convergence.
0: It really is. It's convergence. I think there was yeah. a divorce that may have been uh, precipitated by the Roman Catholic Church when they encountered such characters as Galileo and Bruno and others. And yeah. And um, what?
1: And Copernicus and. Yeah. And
0: Copernicus, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't know how quite to swallow those facts, so they burned them all at the stake, or tried to, or threatened to. And that forced. A very unnatural non organic division or divorce, i like to say, yeah. <laughs> the first yeah. divorce of the Roman Catholic Church, you know uh, between science and religion, and yeah. now they are finding their way organically back together back again, together you know? that 's right it 's a, a remarriage, if you will, which That's is very right. beautiful. you make a, a very interesting uh point here in your uh, one of your chapters, Dwayne, which is this idea that humanity is halfway home, because I'd like to take this conversation to the directionality. I mean, you, you did make the good point that we're not just hanging out here for fun, although fun should be an inherent, <laughs> yeah. intrinsic yeah. part of everything, but yeah. we're here to learn, man, and I yeah. would like to go further and say... We're here to create and to evolve. In fact, since you've been quoting uh, the world's great religions, there is this notion in Judaism, uh, which is my religion of birth, Mm -hmm. uh, that says something that man and God need each other. Man needs God. We're very aware of that, but it's also conversely true that God needs man, and together we are helping to complete the whole, that we are creating the evolution of the universe together. Yes. I'd like to hear, what what do you have to say about that?
1: Well, it's a um, it would be a very lonely place for uh, whatever mysterious uh, intelligence has had the ability to create not only this universe, but uh, apparently Multiple, multiple universes. <laughs> That's right. And so um, this intelligence is creating a, a vast garden of life. And that garden of life can then look back and reflect upon and appreciate uh, with the awe and the mystery from where we've come. And so uh, the completion requires both uh, the totality to be whole uh, with itself and for the individuals within the system. Part of that wholeness to be also able to recognize and appreciate with gratitude their participation in it.
0: So that's Beautiful. how I would see the yeah. uh, how it comes. I hear out. you.
1: Yeah. I hear you.
0: That, that's great. That's great.
1: We are speaking
0: with Dwayne Elgin, who is the an author, educator, teacher, consultant, media activist, author of *The Living Universe* where are we, who are we, and where are we going, with a forward by Deepak Chopra. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World on Blog Talk Radio, and you can join us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv Sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already, and become part of A Better World as an active participant, and listener of course, and we all do both, God knows. So Dwayne, to kind of re-engage uh, you on this, there's this whole idea of you, what you describe as the four actions for the journey ahead. Six vital tasks for the journey home. What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What can we listen to here?
1: Well, uh, I've been looking at this for about uh, well over 40 years, actually. And uh, I've written about many, many different things, And but people come along and say, Look, what can I do? You've been looking at all of this. Tell me what I can do. Yeah. And uh, I say, Well, look, uh, there's a lot we can do. <clears throat> the first thing you can do is start talking to people about it. That's probably the most powerful thing that we can do is to, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, to begin a conversation about what's happening in the world and uh, how we can uh, relate uh, essentially to that. And a part of that conversation is then to say, not only say, boys, are time's tough and stressful, it is also to say it's a transitional time and we are going somewhere. And what is yeah. that story of where we're going? Now, when I go out and I talk to people, a lot of folks have very short stories. They say, well, we're going into the ditch. We're going to hit the wall. We're going to uh, over the cliff. Uh, it's a very short story, and we have a very impoverished social imagination about the future. And I say <laughs> we don't need that. We, we there it's a it's an extraordinary future in front of us. And uh, for example, uh, one uh, future is that we would move from a more adolescent kind of society and into a more adult kind of society. And um, well, what does that mean? It means three things. One, that we would take, a new, we would have a new relationship uh, with the Earth and more sustainable, a new relationship with the rest of life, other humans, other plants and animals and such that are uh, faced with extinction. And number three, a new relationship with the universe, not taking it for granted, but opening ourselves to the possibility that it is a living uh, presence. So anyway, that's just one of the six um, yeah. key things. Let's start. Talking. What tell the story of your life and the future you would like to see. So yes. that would be that would be number one. Uh, number two, um, huge,
0: huge. It, it's yeah, huge. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. huge. And uh, yeah. we
1: could talk about that. I'm just passionate about uh,
0: telling our well, story. Well,
1: that actually dovetails into
0: uh, the Great Transition Stories yes. project that you're Indeed. very deeply
1: involved in. Right? Yes. So yeah. uh, basically, here's here, here's what we're saying. Perhaps one of the most important things that we could be doing um, is to develop stories or narratives. I don't know quite how to put this, stories in our collective imagination that can guide us into a more promising and meaningful future. So um, those stories have to be universal. Everyone around the world has to be able to understand them. They have to be simple. Uh, They have to be emotionally powerful or It won't have any impact, and they need to evoke our higher potentials. What kind of story does that? Well, there are lots of them, it turns out. And uh, there isn't just one story. There are many stories. And, and for example, uh, as we spoke earlier, the story of our growing up. If we start growing up as a human uh, family, uh, we're going to move into an entirely different way of uh, engaging the earth, relating to one another, and relating to the universe that's our home. Uh, so there's one extraordinary story of uh, transition that everyone understands. I've asked this in India, for example, of um, about four or 500 people going off, graduating from college to be school teachers all over India. I had no idea. Would they understand the question, what is the life stage of the human family? Are we growing up or not? Immediately they understood the question, and overwhelmingly people voted that we're in our adolescence as a human family. And that same result has come not only from um, India, but from uh, spiritual leaders in in Japan, business leaders in Brazil, folks in Europe, Canada, the United States, we understand this as a human society. We understand we're acting like teenagers. We're acting like adolescents in the way we're treating the earth and one another. Now, that's good news, because if we know that we've gotten to our adolescence, we know what it means to get into our adulthood. Exactly. And so all of a sudden we have a story about what's going on that isn't full of technology and and data and this and that. It's about something we each know about growing up. And we can bring our own direct experience and say, okay, look, if you're going to be an adult, you're going to behave differently, and here are some of the ways you're going to behave Different, so it's just, so that would be a great example of a, of a universal story, understand around understood around the world. It's emotionally powerful. Everyone has had a hard time exactly from exactly. lesson to adulthood. We uh, all understand that. We understand that. it. It evokes our higher exactly. potentials of adulthood and so on. So that would be an example of a great transition story, that and there, we now really have more more than a, a dozen. powerful one. Yeah, are uh, you reminding me, Twain, of? Uh, uh,
0: a seminar I took with uh, Fernando Flores, the mm. former Minister of Finance of Chile under Allende, mm. who later went to Harvard, uh, got a PhD in philosophy and Martin Heidegger, and became a consultant to Werner Erhard in the development of the Forum. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a very smart,
1: very mm. powerful
0: man. Well, also. Tell me your name.
1: His name Fernando his name?
0: Flores, F L O R E S. And he was in the United States for a long time. He might even still live here. Uh, he was thrown into jail when Allende was deposed by the uh, CIA, actually. Uh, you know, uh, back when Pinochet was um, placed in, you know, the Democratic, uh, democratically elected Allende was deposed. And uh, it's a whole story, and Pinochet was um, put into power. But Flores was part of Allende's um, group, and he was a political prisoner and got out many years later. But when he came to the United States, one of his main subjects was exactly this. You Americans, and he was not talking about all of humanity, although it does apply, but Americans in particular, with their material bounty and spoiledness, if you will, and lack of maturity relating to the earth, said you're a bunch of children, you're a bunch of teenagers, Mm. and it's time that you grew up, because you are leading the entire world down into this cesspool, and we'll never get out if we were all to follow the model that you have laid out. It was a very Strong teaching he gave. And uh, I think it's um, so it's part of that transition mm. story you told. And I, I liked the phrase you used we have a very limited, narrow band of social imagination. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's so true. I mean, yeah. the fact our, is that storytelling
1: our is yeah. our
0: archetypal nature. And stories have been what kept man alive through myths, legends, right. fairy tales. For truly our entire existence. Yes. And, yeah, I'm and sorry, now we, we, we handed over say. the
1: storytelling to the, to the machine of the mass media. And the yes. story it wants to tell is that uh, to be happy, you have to consume our service, our product, and so on. And, right. and so uh, the, the storytelling machine of our world has shifted uh, and narrowed to a machine that promotes consumerism more than anything else.
0: Indeed. And, uh,
1: and, and I so appreciated your um your your blog uh Mitchell on um uh, our, pos- our just obsession with consumerism as
0: yes a, this, as you a, mean a, uh,
1: greed <laughs> as psychopathology yeah yeah yeah, yeah so thank you. Uh, you know on the other hand if you look at what's going on if we say okay we're truly in transition we're going to have to learn To live more simply, if we're going to live more sustainably, Uh, we have to turn from materialism to a larger view of life and happiness and so on. But nonetheless, that transition translates for many people into loss. And uh, so a key question for me, I know you do uh, work in therapy and such. Yes. Uh, A key question for me is if there is profound loss uh, that we're going to face as a materialistic kind of society Well and how do we go through the sorrow of that loss How do we yeah. grieve that This is culturally yeah. so deep How, how do we True. grieve the loss So we can then move ahead into something more promising mm, Beautifully placed question and phrased
0: Because that is what is going on And yeah. in reality I don't think it's that we lose our material Form or nature, mm-hmm. but
1: mm-hmm. rather we detach from our obsession with it. I agree with that. Now, but how do we do that? I mean, to detach, we have to we have to appreciate what we've had instead of yes. negate it, blame it, and yeah. tear it down. To say, "Wow, this was amazing! What we created uh, as, as a species—it was extraordinary." Let's really appreciate what we created, so we can then. Uh, uh, in the appreciation, we can let it go uh, correct uh, in the appreciation, we can be sorrowful that uh, we won 't have that necessarily for uh, generations in the future um, so but we 're not grieving our losses here um, we 're trying to hold on to the past we 're afraid we 're not going to have a uh, sustainable or promising future, and yes. I, I just see this deep need in society for to acknowledge that this is transition. There are losses, and there will be profound gains as well, but let's be real about the sorrow uh, involved in making that change. Yes, that's a profound point, Dwayne,
0: and I think it's so important that we have also in fact lost the ability to grieve in our society. Everything Hmm. is a happy pill, you know? And everything is a form of medication. I mean, right now, if you speak up to the known official authorities, you are considered a little deluded. And worry not, if it's not Indeed. Pfizer, it's Merck that has a medication for you.
1: You yep. <laughs> know, yes, I've, uh... yes
0: you know this is unfortunately this is how we've been positioned that the spectrum of human emotions have been pathologized and grief is the one that people want to experience least yeah. anger is pretty easy Sadness is okay, love and joy are fabulous, everybody agrees But sadness, as you say, loss Is the one that leaves us feeling empty and
1: meaningless
0: And we don't
1: get ourselves to the other side of it That's right And so I think the fear of facing that sorrow Is keeping us from facing it And uh, we would just take say, Okay, let's just grab hold of this Uh, Come on, we're an inventive people uh, we can yeah. and whole new ways of living that are going to be really, it, as you say, there's going to be a lot of happiness there. There's going to be
0: uh, yeah. a lot of sense
1: of community, a sense of contribution, a sense of connection with nature, a connection with others, connection with the universe. Uh, it'll be more sustainable. Da da da. So, exactly. uh, there is a tremendous uh, opportunity. Yeah. But to get to that opportunity, we I think need to be honest and uh, honor the sorrow and the loss that goes with yes. You know, it's like we're I, I feel that
0: um your book and uh these now my words are are in a sense inviting humanity to have a collective experience of the dark night of the soul. Right. And if we can True. transition there when you as as it was said of Moses, I walk with the lowly, I stay close to the earth, I am humbled I experience humility. At that moment, we are given everything
1: yeah. because we're not holding on to anything. Yeah, you know that's true. And and like fossil the, fuels, yeah. we're holding,
0: talking about holding on. <laughs> we're holding on to fossil fuels. Yeah, and we know technologically and scientifically, we have the advanced technology to go beyond them. Yes, we we had to transition from blocked ice to. Refrigeration,
1: yes, yeah. it was a big deal back then, you know it it <laughs> certainly was. I remember from my my grandparents telling me about. yes, yeah,
0: uh-huh, so, really yeah, that's so, fabulous
1: yeah, 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 so tell me in you
0: you're you're inviting the exercise of imagination in a yeah. way that i. I consider just fabulous. And I. the more I listen to you and we speak, the more I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, talking with and interviewing people, Dwayne, and it's, mm. it's such a true pleasure, if you don't mind my being very blatant about it. Mm. Um, I don't get a chance to speak with people who I feel are true brothers
1: in <laughs> spirit
0: and kindred. I mean, really? Uh, you know, I really mean it, and it's a pleasure. I, I've, the work I'm, the book I'm looking to complete soon is called "Sacred Sacred Stewardship: Awakening mm. the Soul to Action," and it go. has so much to do with these fundamental ideas of our relationship to the Earth and what do we think about it, and what do we do with it, and how do we regard her in Lovelock's idea of Gaia as a living being from which we spring, and to give up the old Freudian notion of our, I call it our local mother, and get back to our true biological
1: mother, Mother Earth herself. Yes. And I'm calling, you see, I totally agree, uh, Mitchell, with what you're saying, and I'm also calling for us to get... uh, Get real with the even bigger mother, the mother universe that's really sustaining yes. this whole exactly. enterprise. So exactly, we can relate to the mother universe, and indigenous cultures have done this for thousands Forever. of years. Ever so like. we can relate to the mother universe, and then look at the earth as our mothering home, our nurturing home, and so on. Uh, and begin to see the rest of our, uh people around us as brothers and sisters. You know, here's one really interesting thing that's been discovered very recently in science, and mm-hmm. that is the human family almost got wiped out about 72,000 years ago. We almost completely went extinct 72,000 years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, this is from genetics. Uh, the, they now understand... That the entirety of the human family that's on the Earth today came from a small tribe or community, probably located in, in southeastern Africa, and probably less than a uh, thousand people. Hmm. And uh, the, and the reason for this was an enormous volcanic explosion in uh, in Indonesia. It put out more than three thousand uh, uh, regular volcanoes worth of material, and it created a short uh, winter for the entire earth, it killed off a huge number of people. And those oh, that left that populated the entire earth came from one community of probably less than a thousand people. And that was seventy two thousand years ago. So we have gone from say a thousand people, seventy two thousand years ago, to now seven billion. And oh, you my. it's just extraordinary. In, when and when I was, this is documented. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no, yeah, clear. Oh absolutely oh, you can you can go on either yes is that is that why we're all black <laughs> well do you realize that if you went in, into a jungle found a a a group of chimpanzees did a genetic test you would find yes. more genetic diversity among 30 chimpanzees than among the entirety of the human family really yes that is how related we are and yes. we have no idea we are all cousins, we're all cousins <laughs> yes. we, we, uh, we came from the same community seventy two thousand years ago, and let we're all related here, we're all cousins, and we're all family, so yes, uh, that's it's such a revelation so uh,
0: unfortunately, it also means that we're being completely incestuous.
1: <laughs> I'll let that one go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I guess
0: there's a place for everything up to a certain point, Dwayne. Yes. right? That's okay. a fascinating factoid. Uh, yeah. this is awesome. I'm, that's a real revelation to me. I really What's did not mean? know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So look up Mount Toba, T O B A catastrophe okay. and that's when the volcano blew up seventy two thousand years ago and it it just uh, essentially, left a small. And are you saying that of, that
0: one tribe yes. is really all that survived that uh, volcano? Well,
1: I, others survived, but it was this one tribe, this one community that then went from southern Africa, spread uh, uh, to the east, clear to Australia very quickly, through India, clear to Australia, hmm. and then west up into into Europe. And so that community is the one that then took over the earth. So there were other people like types around. But if you want to know who's on the earth today, it's one community. It wow. Came from one place 72,000 years ago. So fascinating.
0: Yeah. So fa- So then Atlantis and Lemuria would have been post that event. Well,
1: if they indeed occurred, I am. I'm, I have my. You know, I'm curious. Question. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It would have been okay. This is seventy two thousand years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and so
1: there is strong uh, scientific evidence uh, to document uh, this. Um, that I'd is. love to see Atlantis. <laughs> yeah. <by> Atlantis. Yeah. <laughs> it would be nice
0: to have some more. You know, documentation of that as well. Yeah. You know, since you brought up volcanic ash and the power of the volcano. I'm curious about, because on one hand, your book and your work, including with Great Transitions, um, is very, very uplifting. It gives us a larger eagle's view, if you will, of what's possible and the way we can reinvent ourselves during this moment of evolutionary transition. And at the same time, I would like to ask you, because we are facing more geologically challenging moments, what with climate change, global warming, and the imminent for sure solar flares, uh, the breaking off of enormous sizes of ice from Greenland and the other Arctic areas. Uh, one just broke off twice the size of Manhattan. Exactly. I mean, very serious things are happening. Seriously. Literally, even as of today, Dwayne, uh, reports that have come through on Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and others. What do you say as we face these daunting geological and cosmological moments? relative to our human evolution?
1: Well, what I say is just very, very simple, and it is, it's is—it's time for us to talk, and uh, not simply talk uh, as a family, uh, you know, our immediate family, not simply as a community, that's really important, uh, yeah. but also to speak as a nation, and then as a planet. And, and if we can't come to, you know, it was our ability to communicate that got us here. It was our ability to communicate that got us here to the verge of a planetary civilization, and it will be our ability to communicate that will either get us beyond this time of transition and crisis and into a more humane, sustainable future, or it will be our inability to communicate with one another (laughs) that will then will turn to violence and conflict and and all the rest. So I say the first thing that we have to do. What's happening around the world? We are having an absolute revolution in communications. So if the very thing we need is to communicate, boy, do we have the tools. We are way over-endowed with tools of mass communication. We're not even using them. So if we need to communicate, let's get going. So I'm calling for a community voice movement where communities uh, create electronic town meetings and talk to themselves. This is transpires. I don't care if you're left, right, center, whatever. We're all in this together. I'm calling for a world voice movement, where the world finds its voice, speaks to itself, and says, look, we can do better than, uh, than what we've done. Let's create a future that, is, that really works uh, for all of us for the long term. So that's what I would call for the first thing, is, is speak up, stand up, step forward, and, and speak your truth. And uh, let's use these tools of mass communication for mass uh, understanding, appreciation, discovery, and uh, finding our way into a new future. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. And so, in a sense, you're saying that at the end of the day, it has to do with what we uh, that we have to be talking to ourselves. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, this, go on. This, if it's going to be a democracy, unless we're just going to hand it over to big government, big corporations, or, or big churches, or whoever to do it for us, and I, I don't trust that. I'm no, saying you
0: are a very interesting man. Also, when, <laughs> I, this is a whole other area that I'd love to open up, but I'm not sure we're going to get to it all today. But your your um, involvement in that presidential commission some yep. years back, where right. you had a bird's eye view into the workings of government, or I should right. say, the dysfunctionality right. of government. Right. But you know, you really saw things up front yep. and personal, okay. and uh, so you know that handing things over to such institutions is a real mistake for humanity. Yeah. yeah.
1: And do you want to comment that. on that? Yeah. You know, I I worked on a presidential commission. We were looking at the uh, American future from 1970 to the year 2000, 30 years ahead. And. Um, uh I, I was working on the uh, staff i was a senior staff member but uh, it was a white house uh position so i got to see white house politics uh senators representatives and uh presidents of foundations and so on and so on and so this was during nixon yes this is in 19 uh, early 1970s and yes. um and what i saw was power i didn't see uh, an a, attempt to uh really uh, appreciate and uh, serve the American people. what I saw was power being used to serve you know the ends of particular people and their policies and so my feeling is you know i trust I trust the body politic I trust the average American and I have real issues with um, ordinary politicians, ordinary business people, and all the rest. I think it's yeah. time for us as citizens to take it back take back the power to ourselves, and, and we can do that by beginning to have a new conversation about the future we want.
0: Mm, yes, I'm so glad. It's also interesting that you're you know, also known as a media activist, yep. and these you know, the, the call back to our own power has, of course, a lot to do with uncovering the propaganda machine known as commercial uh, media.
1: <laughs> That's all it is, is propaganda, yeah. is uh, for, for uh, uh, consumption. And people know that. I mean, people are so – if you look at the survey. People have an extraordinary low opinion of uh, broadcast television and whether it's serving. Uh, the, I've looked at it. So uh, people are savvy. They're smart. They know what what is yes. being put on them and uh, yes. what's genuine and what's honest.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I
1: think that's true. We really, as
0: we have that. When you refer to blink, we have that instinctive knowing that the wool is being pulled over our eyes by some kind of self-interested company or institution. You know, yep. there's this grinding in the stomach that lets us know there's something that stinks in the state of Denmark.
1: Yeah, yep, we're you know? entertainment rich, yep. we're knowledge poor, we don't know what's going on as a democracy, and we're just going to, as people say, we're going into the ditch, we're going to hit the wall, whatever... unless we wake up in time, and to wake up we have to use the mass media to really inform ourselves and not only be better informed, but also then to begin conversation. Let's use these uh, tools for electronic town meetings both at a community level, at a national level, at a global level. Let's engage in the most potent thing that we can do, and that's have a new conversation about our collective future.
0: Wow. It's beautiful. But I I want to just circle back for a moment. We're almost out of time, but I do want to address this issue of geological um,
1: issues
0: and planetary threats such as global warming, climate change, solar flares, things that we know are factually happening. And you, when I asked that, Responded by talking about the electronic town halls, I think that's very true you You urged us toward communication with ourselves and with each other uh We're, we're going to have a lot of people walking around pushing uh, uh supermarket baskets talking to ourselves no I'm kidding um what do you uh, what on a level of mental emotional physical preparation would you speak of? When it comes to these rather daunting uh, geological events,
1: oh, or not? Uh, th- oh, yes, I think it's, it's critically important that people begin to think about new livelihoods. I mean, what uh, if the traditional economy uh, breaks down as ours, and it appears in every way as just going to continue to have these uh, growing crises? So, what are the are the livelihoods that you would enjoy? For example, I, I see a lawyer, but he's also then working on, uh, let's say, reconciliation issues in, in families. Uh, he's also working on um, uh, a builder uh, on the side. So he has three jobs. Another person yes. you know, is a nurse, uh, but she's also a health prat- practitioner, and then she works uh, with kids. Uh, mm. and so they work, they work, they weave together, but I think more and more we're going to have, like, two, three, four jobs, no one of which will be, like, the professional job, but we're going to be living in community, working in multiple ways, contributing in multiple ways, and receiving um, ourselves in multiple ways from that process. So uh, it's an exciting new world and economy that's emerging.
0: It really is. Dwayne Elgin, I want to just thank you so much for your many, many years and decades of committed work on behalf of humanity, my friend. It's
1: Ah. Truly impressive.
0: Yeah. It really is, and I want you to know it's it's being acknowledged. And uh, you know, on behalf of humanity, may I?
1: Uh, bless you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Bless you. Thank
0: you for your good Thank work. You. truly. Thank you,
1: awesome.
0: Absolutely. Good to be here. The
1: website, the
0: websites yeah. that our listeners can go to.
1: There are two. One is greattransitionstories.org. Greattransitionstories.org. And uh, the other is my own personal website. It's just duaneelgin.com. and it's D-U-A-N-E-E-L-G-I-N.com.
0: Wonderful, Dwayne. Thanks again for being a guest, and thanks. We'll have you on again to follow up it. on these? Great. See matters. Okay. okay. Take care. God bless. Thanks Bye-bye. again. Bye bye. That was Dwayne Elgin, everyone, the author of *The Living Universe* and many other books that I outlined. This Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv. And please come back next Wednesday and join us again for another exciting show. Bye-bye now.